So the question I want to ask us this uh, morning is this. Uh, where, do we, where do we get guidance? How do we find guidance? Well, we're going to look at the book of Proverbs because I think it helps us when we were looking for guidance or we were looking to make good choices. And we're going to talk a little bit about that because uh, Proverbs has a lot to say about making good choices. Um, let me just give you a little background. What we're doing, this may be one of your first times here, maybe your first time here. What we're doing this year is we're challenging everybody to read through the Bible. And we're really more interested, not so much that you read through the Bible, but that every day you're taking the Bible, you're opening it up, and you're actually reading a passage and you're reflecting on it. That's really, in other words, you're saying, God, what do you want to say to my heart, to my life today? And you read through the scripture doing that. And we have multiple tools for that. By the way, if you have... And you should be somewhere in Proverbs today or starting tomorrow. You'll be getting into Proverbs. But uh, if, you, if you say, well, I'm new here, you can just jump on anytime you want because we're really saying it's really about reflecting on the Scriptures. And I love uh, what Bob and Angie were saying. They saying, you know, we're, we, we decided to pray together as a family. Now, what they said was very interesting. They said, we're not perfect in this but we're doing it a whole lot more than we were. And that's really all we're after is to do, a lot, do it more than you were. And if you do it more than you were, it's going to be better. So that's essentially what we're challenging you to do. So, we're, so I'm preaching through the Bible, and we're at the book of Proverbs. We're talking about the wisdom literature. And last week we talked about the book of Psalms. This, uh, this uh, weekend we're looking at the book of Proverbs. And Proverbs is, what is a proverb? A proverb is just a succinct and persuasive saying that's true by experience, and it's practical advice for holy living. And we use, and proverbs don't have to be just about holy living. They can be about anything, but uh, essentially the the book of Proverbs has that, that God, that focus, that right path emphasis to it. But we have proverbs in English. We use them all the time. For instance, one proverb we use all the time, Maybe you don't use it all the time. Look before you leap. You know, that's a proverb. Or here's a couple of longer proverbs. You might have heard this one before. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to a garage makes you a mechanic. Okay? Or my, ideal, my idea of housework is to sweep the room with a glance. <laughs> uh, this one I like. Uh, opportunities always look bigger going than coming. That's true. So the book of Proverbs, just a couple things about it. It's a collection of collections. Uh, It contains Proverbs by a number of different authors. Probably the most famous one and the one that it's attributed, many of the Proverbs are attributed to, is is Solomon. King Solomon wrote a number of the Proverbs. Um, Proverbs are not hard and fast promises. And that's really important to read. When you read them, you, some people have mistakenly taken the Proverbs and said, well, that's a promise. If I do this, then this happens. For example, and I mentioned this last weekend, Proverbs 22, 6 says this, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart. Or uh, the other translation, uh, that's actually the translation, I don't have the, the modern one. But basically, that, that people have taken that as a promise and saying, wait, wait, if I raise my child in the way of the Lord, then, then he's like gold. I mean, it's, 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 he's locked in. 
But you know what? What it is is the general principle. And what it's saying, what this proverb is saying, is that the, uh, the general principle is that godly training will stay with a child. That in most cases, children, ra- children who are raised in a religious family will accept the direction of their parents and their lives will go better, generally. It's not a promise. It's a general principle. And that's what you have to understand. Proverbs also are not commands. It's not a matter that it's commanding you. It's, it's giving you a directional advice. Um, it speaks of, the book of Proverbs really speaks of two ways of life. And the two ways are this. Uh, the Proverbs says, a fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And, and think about this. What, what the book of Proverbs is saying is there's two ways of life. There's two paths of life. One leads to life. One leads to destruction. The fool is the one who basically says there is no God and is on the path that leads to destruction. The wise man is the one who fears, honors, has reverence for God, listens to God, follows God, and finds life. That's essentially what the book of Proverbs is about. about two paths, two, people, two groups of people, the wise person and the foolish person. And so you'll hear the, the contrast all over. Um, Proverbs, last thing I want to say about the book in general is that it speaks about all areas of life. It's one of my favorite books in the Old Testament because it's, it's just one of those books that you can read it and you go, you know, there's so many different wise things in it. Let me give you a, a, just a little uh, taste of, of Proverbs. Proverbs talks about your relationship with God. Notice what it says. It says this in Proverbs 1, 7. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and, and discipline. So here's this contrast between wisdom and foolishness and, and how it relates to God. This verse is one that you, you should, if I was you, if you were thinking of memorizing Scripture, this would be one that I would challenge you to memorize. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not de- depend on your own understanding. Seek His will in all you do and he will show you the path to take. Now, I memorized this verse many years ago in the King James Version, which says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not on thine own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. So that's a verse that I learned a long time ago, and it's a great verse because it gives you, it's a kind of a life verse. And so maybe you don't have one, and that would be one that you would consider. Proverbs 28, 13 says, People who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. This is essentially what 1 John 1, 8 and 9 is saying. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. That's essentially what this proverb is saying. In, in verse 8, it says in 1 John 1, and you know, I don't have all Scripture memorized, but 1 8 basically says, if you deny that you are a sinner, you make God a liar, and you, you have no, there's no ground for your forgiveness. So this proverb is saying essentially the same thing as 1 John 1 9. Uh, proverbs speak about your heart. Notice what it says in Proverbs 4 23. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. You may think that luck directs your life or that circumstances direct your life. This verse says, no, your heart directs the course of your life. Uh, here's another one, Proverbs 14, 12. There is a path uh, before each person that seems right, but it's en- it ends in death. Jesus spoke about this. He said there were two paths. He says one was wide and many are on it and it leads to destruction. And then there's a narrow path and it's narrow and very few people on it, but it leads to life. 
There's nobody on the wide path that thinks it's a bad path. Everybody thinks, yeah, it's a pretty good path, right? Yeah, it is. And then you get to, whoa, maybe not, you know? And, and that's essentially what it's saying. It talks about relationships. Proverbs talks about how to re- relate to one another. And, and it says this, it, you know, this is what a friend is supposed to be. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen: As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. What do you mean there? It means you have somebody in your life who can call you out, somebody who can encourage you when you're down, somebody who can lift you up, somebody when you're going off onto the wrong path, say, hey, hold on, what's going on? I care about you. Iron sharpens iron, okay? Let me give you another one. A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. Now, think about this. Have you ever been in a really uh, heated situation with people and then somebody walks in and basically calms it down, just brings a calming, low, quiet, brings it down? Just, you know, I think there's a lot of people out there that can just amp it up, but it takes a special gift and special wisdom to amp it down. Uh, notice this is a similar verse, Proverbs 20, 12, verse 16. A fool is quick-tempered, but, uh, but a wise person stays calm when insulted. Now, when you're insulted by somebody, what do you do? Do you blow up? Do you get a posse with you? Do you just, you just you know, talk to everybody about how mad you are and all that? That's foolish. Basically, a wise person, it says this, a wise person stays calm when insulted. That's, there's a lot of wisdom there. It's harder to do than it is to say, but it's... I love, love this one, Proverbs thirty-one thirty. Charm is deceptive, and beauty does not last, but a woman who fears the Lord will be greatly praised. And so, young people, I would just say to you, that you, this to you, that look for somebody who fears God, who loves God, who honors God, because that's the, the most important foundational thing. I love this verse, and I just put it in here because I have this uh, sixth sense of humor. And I, I, I just, I just, well, let me read it to you. Proverbs 21.9. It's better to live alone in the corner of an attic than with a quarrelsome wife in a lovely home. <laughs> I love that. I, I just, I, you know, and, 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 and here's what I have pictured in my mind. I have this guy up in his attic. And it's this crusty old attic with bats and stuff, and he's sitting there in the dust and the dirt and all the, the old stuff that nobody wants anymore. And he's saying, I'm still better off here than I am down there with her. You know, and you just go, that's just... <laughs> anyway. Proverbs speak about your wealth. It says, better to have little with fear for, for the Lord than to have a great treasure and inner turmoil. And what this basically, as you think about this a little bit, what he's saying is inner turmoil comes when you don't have God at the center of your life. When you rely on money and other things, you, you're going to have inner turmoil. Uh, let me give you one more uh, um, wealth. It says this, uh, Proverbs 3. This is a principle that, that Carol and I have tried to live in our lives uh, by. And it says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. And, and that's a hard principle to live by, but it's, you know, I think it's an honoring principle. So let's come to the, to the, the, the couple of the Proverbs we want to look at, because it talks about God's direction, and we're going to move through this fairly quickly. Proverbs 16, I'm going to read a, a, a number of the verses here, and they'll be up on the screen, uh, I think. We can make our plans, but the Lord gives the right answer. People may be pure in their own eyes, but the Lord examines their motives. 
Commit your actions to the Lord and your plans will be uh, will succeed. The Lord has made everything for his purposes, even the wicked for the day of disaster. We can make plans, but the Lord determines our steps. Now, how do we get God's guidance? I think there's three things that we want to look at here. First, we want to look at a mystery. And the mystery is this, and this is all through Scripture. And, you're, and by the way, you're not going to be Scooby-Doo and the, and the crew, and you're not going to solve this mystery. It is a mystery. It's a tension within Scripture. And the tension is this, that, that God is absolutely sovereign and in control. And there's nothing that happens or doesn't happen in this universe unless he ordains it, unless he plans it. And, and so that basically says that God is perfectly in control. Ephesians 1 basically speaks about this too. In verse 11, and Paul says this, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. And then notice what he says here. He says, for he chose us in advance. What he means by that, as you read through this, he chose us in advance. means he chose you before you were even alive, before you were even born. He chose you. <laughs> Wait a minute. I thought I chose him. Exactly. That's the, that's the, that's the tension here. But notice what he says here. <laughs> And this is the part I want you to see the verse. He makes everything work out according to his plan. Everything works out according to his plan. God is completely sovereign. That's taught all the way through Scripture. There's no getting around it. There's no softening of it. But here's the second thing. And this is what uh, we want to talk about. The second part of it is that men, men, women, young people, all of us are free to make choices. And our choices matter. And our choices are real. And we're responsible for our choices. Let me give you a verse. Joshua 24. And the context here is very simply this. General Joshua, they've taken the land. And Israel is now living in the land. And Joshua is is retiring from his military uh, ministry. And he's basically giving his last... Uh, words to the people of Israel saying how they should live their lives now that they're in the land that God promised to Abraham. And he says this. He says, so fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve him, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. So what Joshua was saying here is you have a choice. You have a decision. And with this decision are going to come consequences. You can either worship the old gods, the other side of the Euphrates, or the gods that are that worshipped in this land. But as for my family, family and me, we're going, to serve the Lord. we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to worship the Lord. And so he's saying, you have a choice. You have an, a, a very important choice, and it has implications and consequences. You're responsible for your choice. So these two truths, that God is sovereign and that we have a choice, are held in tension within Scripture. It's a mystery. You'll never explain it. You'll never be able to completely understand it because they don't make sense when you put them together. Because if God is absolutely sovereign, that means our choices, that means, some have taken it to mean, we live in a world that's already planned, it's already determined, it's already, no, there are no choices, you are just merely a robot. But the scripture doesn't say that. Simply, right here, Joshua's saying, yes, your, chance, your choices do make a point. They, they are important. They do have implications. 
We'll show you a couple more examples of that. But basically what we're saying here is, um, we often think of history as either fixed or not fixed, that God's sovereign and our choices don't matter, or our choices are everything and God kind of limits his sovereignty somehow. And I don't think those are good solutions. I think it's just it's important to say God is sovereign and our free choices matter. And somehow, in the mystery of God, they all work out. Don't know how that works out. Let me give you an example where this plays out. And maybe that'll make it easier to see at least. Not understand, but to see. The story of Joseph, and we talked about this story when we were in Genesis. His brothers made a decision one day. When they saw Joseph coming, they hated him. They sold him to be a slave. He went to Egypt. He was a slave. He became second in the kingdom. He basically was able to save all of the... Egyptians and all of the surrounding people and his brothers who came to Egypt for food because there was a famine. And so now Joseph is second command. The uh, 70 or so of his family are there in Egypt and they're going to be taken care of because Joseph was in the right place at the right time. But he got sold as a slave and it was their bad choice that brought that brought Joseph to Egypt in the first place. So they're at a point right now where Joseph's father, Jacob, has died. And they're afraid, Joseph's brothers, that Joseph is going to retaliate and kill them now. They wouldn't do it when dad's alive, but now that dad's gone, he's going to get his vengeance in. And this is what Joseph says, incredible verse in Genesis 50, verse 20. You intended to harm me. See, Joseph is speaking to his brothers. But God intended it all for good. Now, let's just take that first part. You intended to harm me. What Joseph is saying, he's saying, your actions were evil. Your actions were sinful. Your actions were destructive. Your actions killed me. Literally, just, you destroyed my life. He is not letting them off the hook. He's not saying, oh, don't, you know, don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. He's saying it was a big deal. It was a tremendous big deal. You destroyed my life. And then on the other hand, he says, but God intended it all for good. Joseph isn't saying that what they did was good. What Joseph is saying is that God took their evil deeds, their bad decisions, their their terrible deed that they did to him, and he turned it around for good somehow. Now, Joseph's brothers didn't feel like, oh, this is the only choice we have. We're robots. We have to do this. They felt we have a free will to choose. You see, that's... Kind of when he, and he says this, he brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. Joseph was able to see the hand of God and how God was working. See, the story of Joseph is an incredible story because it shows us that not only is God sovereign and do our, our choices count and we're responsible for our choices. So that means this. If you make dumb, stupid, hurtful, harmful choices, you hurt people, you do things, you're absolutely responsible for that. And God is absolutely going to hold you accountable for that, as he should. But here's the good news. When people do things to you, and harmful, hurtful things to you, God is sovereign over the whole thing. And even when you're at a point where you're saying, I have two decisions, and I don't want to make the wrong one. What if I make the wrong one? I just want to tell you that God can turn it out for good. Even when you make a bad decision, God can turn it out for good. Okay? So there's hope. 
<laughs> I want you to move away from a fatalistic view that my, my decisions are, don't mean anything or when I make a bad decision, it's all over. Because Scripture doesn't teach that. Scripture teaches that God is sovereign. He's going to work His goodwill out in spite of all the bad things that are being done and that you may be doing. He could turn them around. But you as a human being are responsible for your choices. So that makes every one of your choices important, significant. That's why Joshua could say to the people, you need to decide. This is an important decision. It's on you to make this decision. But then Joseph can say, God is sovereign over things. I don't know how those fit together, but they're both taught in Scripture. All right, let's talk. So that's the mystery you have to wrestle with, okay? And, and it's okay to wrestle with a mystery because we're not God. And by the way, when you get to heaven, you're not going to be God and you're not going to probably understand this either because we're still going to learn in heaven. I mean, we're not going to be omniscient, know everything. Here's the second thing I want you to see. God leads us through the stream of relationship. You know, oftentimes, has this ever happened to you where somebody's come to you and said, hey, I need your advice on something, you give them your advice. They don't pay any attention to it. They go out and do their own thing, and, and it just it blows up. And they go, oh, man, I should have listened to you. You know, that's good advice. And then they come back like something else, and they go, hey, I need your advice again. And you tell them your advice, and you're thinking, okay, they're probably not going to listen to this, right? And they go out, and they, they, do, they don't do what you tell them to do. And, and, and maybe your kids, by the way, that I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they go out and do it, and, and then you do it again, and at, a, at some point you go, wait a minute, why are you even coming to me? Because you're not even listening to what I'm telling you. You're not paying attention. Uh, I love what uh, Elizabeth Elliot said. This, this is a quote from Elizabeth Elliot from The Quest for Love. She says, does it make sense to pray for guidance about the future if you're not obeying in the thing that lies before us today? How many momentous uh, events... Uh, in Scripture, depend on one person's seemingly small act of obedience. Rest assured, do what God tells you to do now and depend upon it, and you will be shown the next. In other words, what she's saying is it's ludicrous to think that you can just come to God willy-nilly when you feel like it and expect that He's going to guide you and direct you. It, it makes much more sense that God is going to direct you out of the stream of relationship as you are walking with Him that He will show you the next step. And sometimes it's the little steps, not the big steps, that are the, the important ones. You, are you doing the right little things on a regular basis? So wisdom, what I'm saying is wisdom isn't instant. It's, we must learn wisdom. We don't realize, there's a couple things. I don't think we realize, you know, somebody could say to you, you're a sinner, you make bad choices, you don't make good decisions, and you go, yeah, I know. But we don't really believe that sometimes, I think. For example, have you ever done this? As parents, let's put this in, in the focus of your parents or somebody that was over you basically said to you, don't do that. If you do that, it's not going to turn out well. And you go, they don't know what they're talking about. I'm smarter than they are. And you go and do it, and it blows up, right? And you go, I mean, it's, just, it's a horrible moment because it blows up, and you realize that somehow or another they're going to find out. They told you, they warned you, they told you, and you didn't listen. And they, exactly what they said happened, and you have to, you, you've come to the shocking conclusion that they're right. <laughs> Your parents may be right. They may have given you good advice if you didn't listen to them. And you're going, 
man, oh man, this is really hard because not only do I have to say I blew up, but I have to say, you were right. And I don't want to say that because after all, I thought I was smarter than them and I'm not. You know what? That's what I call paying the stupid tax. Have you done that before? When you knew, somebody warned you, somebody told you not to do something, you, you just had that wisdom, or maybe you didn't have the wisdom, and you went out and you did something stupid. And you go, boy, if I had known, I would not have done that. And so I went to a conference recently with pastors from the Free Church, and we have an hour where we just do, okay, let's do the stupid tax hour. Just tell us something that you did that was really stupid. So we can learn from your stupid mistakes so we don't have to pay the stupid tax. You know, part of wisdom is learning enough so you don't pay the stupid tax. Reading the Proverbs is about being warned. In Scripture, being warned. Your word is a lamp to my feet. What's it saying there? This is going to show you where you're going to trip up and fall. It's going to warn you about things so you won't have to pay the stupid tax down the road. You know, I hope today that I'm, I'm making wiser choices than I was when I was 16. Or 26 or 36 or 46 or 56. We'll stop there, okay? <laughs> I hope that I'm making better choices today than I was when I was 16. I hope so. I hope that I'm, I'm not paying a stupid tax quite as often. Let me give you one more. We've heard it said that God loves us. And I believe He does. But do we believe that? Do we believe that God loves us? Do we act like it? Do our choices and values reflect it? Or, will, or do we still do things that are desperate attempts to seek His love and acceptance? Or love and acceptance through others? How many of you have gotten into a relationship with somebody you knew you shouldn't get in a relationship with, but you did it because you were so desperately, you so, were so desperate to be loved and, loved and accepted, and you said, yeah, I paid some stupid tax there. See, this is where wisdom comes in. It comes through the stream of having a relationship with God. One last thing. And this is where the stream begins. We embrace the source of the stream. Proverbs 16.6 says this, Unfailing love and faithfulness make atonement for sin, but by fearing the Lord, uh, people avoid evil. Guidance comes to everyone who seeks Him. We find wisdom from Him. Wisdom comes as we surrender to Him. And, and why should we surrender to Him? We surrender to Him because He surrendered on the cross to us. That's why. There's a verse in Proverbs 16.3 that we didn't get a chance to think about. And it says this. It says, commit, this is 16.3. Commit your actions to the Lord and your plans will succeed. Now, what, this is an interesting verse because it seems like it's backwards. It seems like it should say this. It seems like it should say, commit your plans to the Lord and your actions. In other words, you bring God your blueprint, your plans, and you say, God, I need your approval on these plans so that my actions will succeed. It seems like, but it doesn't say that. It says, commit your actions to the Lord so your plans will succeed. Now, what's he saying there? Now, one of the things I want you to know about Proverbs, Proverbs is like a piece of hard candy. Each proverb is like a piece of hard candy. And what do you do with hard candy? You put it in your mouth, and you suck on it, and you just, 
you get the, you know, it takes you a while. That's what you need to do. So let's do that just for a moment with this proverb. This proverb is not saying something that I think we often think it is. This proverb isn't saying you need to go to God and get advice now and then. And there's a sign that I drove by from a church that got it up. Need advice? Read the Bible. Well, yeah, that's true, I guess. But here's the point. You don't go to God to get advice. You don't go to God and say, God, I need you to weigh in on this. I mean, what's advice? When we go to somebody for advice, we're saying, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'd like your opinion. If you're going to God for his opinion on things, in a sense that you're going, I may or may not take it. I just want want you to weigh in. Now, you have to understand that you may say something good, but I may decide not to do it. Because I get to make the final choice. I have free will. Pastor Matt said. So I get to do that. But here's, here's what. So the proverb seems to be saying, if you need advice, wait, have God weigh in. And your plans will succeed. Right? That's not what it's saying, though. It says this. It says, give your actions to him. Not your plans. Your actions. Now, what are your actions? It's who you are. It's my eyes. It's my ears. It's my hands. It's my legs. It's my mouth. It's, it's who I am as a person. And so what this is saying is this. It says, you are, as you commit your life to him, as you commit your actions to him, as you commit, before you even make plans, you just com- Paul puts it in Romans 12 too. Make yourself a sacrifice to God, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. Present yourself to God in that way. Give yourself to Him. Give your whole life to Him. And and essentially what this proverb is saying is as you give yourself to Him, He will direct your your plans. Your plans will look a lot different when God is directing them. You see, when you come, and how many, how do you often do you do that? Where you've come to God and said, God, I have these plans for this person. I need to be married to this person. I need to be in this relationship. I need to have this job. I need to have this job. I just need you to sign on the dotted line for me and make it happen, okay? That's not what this proverb is saying. Proverbs is saying, rip up the plans. Say, God, here I am. I am clay. You're the potter. You make the plans. You design me. You design my life. I like the way the writer John Newton, the pastor and hymn writer, he wrote Amazing Grace. And he says this, and I think this is the principle that he's he's talking about. You say to God, you go to God and you say, what you will, when you will, how you will. And that's what this proverb is saying. What you will, when you will, how you will. You make the plans. After all, you designed me. You have a plan and a purpose for my life. So maybe what I should do is stop writing my plans and determine what your plans are for my life. That's different. So what I'm saying to you is this. When you unconditionally trust God, you will slowly become a person who makes wise choices. It begins by giving your life to him. The very first step, we read that verse at the, uh, at the beginning of this point. It says, unfailing love and faithfulness by making atonement for our sins. There's only one person. There's only one person that we know of that has shown us unfailing love and faithfulness by making atonement for us, and that's, of course, Jesus Christ. 
And when we begin our relationship with Jesus Christ and we give our life to him because he gave his life to us, we begin a new relationship. We give ourselves to him. And then it's not always going to be perfect. We're going to mess up and we're going to, we're going to jump off the, the altar you know, from time to time and, and we're going to make poor choices. But essentially the path is that we're walking with him. We're connected to the vine as of last week. And as we do that, Jesus shows his unfailing love and faithfulness by making atonement for us as we connect to him like that. And as we walk in the stream and we say to Jesus, not here are my plans, but here am I. You make the plans. We will begin to make wise choices. We will begin to gain wisdom. And that's why we're, we're tra- challenging you to read and reflect because this is where wisdom comes to our hearts as we reflect upon his word to us. They are like bread. They are life. If you want wisdom, it will not come when you have a fully developed plan and you say, God, here's my plan. Now do it. It will not come that way. It will come as you daily are obedient, as Elizabeth Elliot says. It will come as we are in relationship with Jesus, as we give our life to him as he gave us our, his life to us. As we say to Jesus, I come as a piece of clay, and you are the potter, Paul says in Romans. And I am not going to be like the clay and tell the potter, this is how you should make me. Instead, I will say, your will, your way, your time. That's how God directs. That's how God brings wisdom. That's how God brings happiness and joy to your life, by the way. So, two paths. There's a wise one. There's a foolish one. So I pray that as you, we move on this week, that we'll walk that wise path and that we'll, we'll get off of the, the path where we pay the stupid tax way more often than we want to or need to. All right? Let's stand together and let's pray. Father, help us, because without your help, we can't do this. We pray that if there's anyone here that's never called upon the Lord, today would be the day that they would say, Jesus, you are the one who gave yourself for me. I give myself to you. Uh, I am a lump of clay. I want you to begin to work in my life, and I want to join you in that stream of a relationship where you'll give direction and and, uh, guidance to my life. Many times in the small, little obedience steps that I need to take so that when I get to those bigger steps, uh, it'll be pretty apparent which way you're directing me. Father, help us not to make those dumb choices and to pay stupid taxes that we shouldn't be paying. May we learn from the wisdom of others who've gone before us. May we hear their words. And, uh, Father, may we walk in wisdom. May we fear and honor and reverence and respect you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.